really honored to share the word tonight. Um, I I love that we have uh, just in Jamie and Noah we have two very powerful speakers who have a theme that works through a lot of what they talk about. And we'll talk about those in a second. I hope to build on those tonight. Uh, but I, you know, I've uh, Taylor and I we planted a church before, uh, and I know when you're kind of bearing the weight of sharing the word every single week, you're always kind of thinking about where God is trying to take your people. And you try and do your very best to communicate in a way that takes them where you feel like God is leading them. And uh, it is no light burden to bear. And I just want to honor Jamie and Noah specifically. Uh, just as they lead our church, um, I know that they prayerfully bring the word each week that is meant to support you and build you up and lead you in the direction that God is taking us as a church family. So uh, with all that being said, can we pray uh, and just ask God to speak to us tonight? Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. God, I ask that tonight it would really, um, it, it would shape us and it would change us. God, that you would grow us. And God, my deepest prayer tonight is that we would fall uh, way more deeply in love with you tonight. God, that our gratefulness would grow tonight. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's get into some scripture tonight. Uh, will you turn with me to, we're going to go to Luke 7. Uh, if you want to turn there, turn here. I cheated. I have a bookmark in my Bible, so I'll wait for you for a second. Get on your phone or your Bible. Uh, we're going to read Luke 7, starting in verse 36 tonight. Luke 7, verse 36. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and start reading. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And that's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. This is one of the most, I don't know, interesting, slightly bizarre, beautiful stories in Scripture in, in terms of what someone did around Jesus. Because for everyone in the room, it was unexpected. They're like, who, it doesn't even say that she was invited, right? It says she found out he was going to be at someone's house and showed up in the middle of dinner. Like, if someone just showed up to your house in the middle of dinner and started doing anything, talking to people, taking your food, doing anything, it would be a very bizarre situation, right? Like, let's, let's kind of dive into the story a little bit and, like, actually think about this for a second. It was a bizarre thing to do. And reading about the customs of the time, it's kind of interesting. It says that she kneeled down behind him, uh, but then was washing his feet. And I was, you know, just thinking about the picture is kind of weird. Well, at the time, they would recline at a table with their heads closest to the table, with their feet out. And uh, it's interesting thinking about, like, there's no explanation. There's no Jesus can I. There's just this outpouring of what Jesus calls love towards him. And... Uh, you know, thinking about this story, it kind of reminds me of my girls, my daughters. Uh, they, they show love in very interesting ways. Uh, my daughter Camilla, she's my oldest one. She turned four this week. And her way of showing love is she will just, without saying a word, she'll just kind of start following me around. <laughs> she just wants to be close to me, but we don't have to be talking or doing anything intentional. She's just walking around. This is like a development in the last week. You know, if you have young kids, you know, it, things develop and change week to week. And so I've noticed it this week because she specifically does it every time I'm in the kitchen. And so, you know, I'll go into a cupboard here and she'll bump into my leg and then I go to the fridge over here and get something out, bumps into my leg. And she's not saying anything. She's not asking to play. She's just showing that she wants to be around me. And of course, I receive that as love, you know, like I'm not annoyed by it or something. Now, my other daughter, Kaya, she, she is, she's, my, uh, she's my wild card. She's my wrecking ball is what I like to say normally. She is like as in your face as it gets. And so when she shows love, it's a lot different than Camilla's kind of like quiet gentleness. Kaya's way of showing love is she will come right up to me and start going like this. Until I pick her up. <laughs> and I'm trying to teach her. I keep going, okay, use your words. You can talk. Use your words. But it's her number one way she shows love. I don't know if it's a physical touch thing or whatever, but she always wants to be held by me. And I love Jesus' response in this story to this woman who's doing something that they kind of resembled the customs of their time. You know, he's saying, you didn't wash my feet. Well, she's washed me. You didn't do the courtesy of anointing my head with oil, but she has anointed me with oil. So he's kind of alluding to these things that she's doing. They kind of mimic some courtesies of the time. But there's no other example of this that we see in Scripture until this woman. And it's interesting that Jesus says that she is showing love in this moment. He doesn't say this is an act of worship. He doesn't say this is an act of sacrifice. He doesn't praise her for being generous, even though it was generous. It says uh, in Scripture that it was worth a year's wage. That's how much it cost, this perfume that she poured out on him. Yet the one thing that he zones in on, he says this was an act of love. And I love that he just receives it. And it's interesting because he doesn't really rebuke the Pharisee that's hosting him. He just says, you know, you're trying to judge what she's doing, but she's done something that actually is very dear to my heart, and she's showing love to me. Tonight I want to talk to you about the love of Jesus, the goodness of God. And, uh, you know, I think in church culture, 
a lot of times we kind of gravitate towards what kind of fits our preferences more, right? So we go to this church because we really like the worship, right? Or we go to this church because we really like the preacher. Or we go to this church because their community is really easy to fit in with. Or we go to this church because it's closer to us. And, and on the flip side, in church leadership, we go, well, we want to create a church that's like this. We want to create a church that has this style of preaching. Or we want to create a church that has this kind of vibe in the atmosphere when we're worshiping. Or this kind of pre like we can honestly really easy focus on the wrong things. And we can start to try and create something that really is just born out of our own strength and our own culture and our own preferences. And I think the beauty of the body of Christ is that you can be a 100% born-again, Jesus, Bible-believing, loving person with any type of of preference or style in a church. What matters most to Jesus is not how we love him, but that we love him, right? And so tonight I want to talk to you about the goodness of God, and the reason, I'm just going to show my cards here, the reason that I want to talk to you about how much Jesus loves you is because the Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. In our church at Be Love, we talk about having a, a desire to be a presence-driven church. And we really care about our time that we just shared together, where we are spent spending time worshiping the Lord and getting in his presence. But we could easily fall into the pitfall of trying to create a certain type of worship that just is 50 minutes to an hour long, but actually has no weight to it, Right? We could easily say, well, the way that we worship as a church, as a family, is we go up to the front, or we all raise our hands, or we shout, yeah, in the exciting parts. We could easily fall into the pitfall of trying to make worship look a certain way, or look at, you know, receiving the word a certain way, without actually having weight behind it. And there are a lot of us in here tonight, I would say probably most of us have been following Jesus for some time. And in following Jesus for some time, just like any other relationship, without there being effort, work, and consideration in our relationship with God, easily we can just fall into going through the motions. And something that was once very beautiful and life-giving to us becomes something that, though we say we're not religious, we actually do fall into being religious people without even knowing it. Because we go to church because it's Sunday and I'm part of the church. Well, I worship because it's worship time. But did we worship at any other point during the week because we love God? Was God ever on our mind or are we just worshiping because it's the comfortable time in our week where we've locked out a couple hours to be with our church family? Now, of course, I don't want to talk out of shame or anything. I want to talk out of invitation back to your first love that you had with the Lord. Because if we had a silent room and someone played something, you know, Braden's playing the piano, and we were silently in awe weeping to the Lord if that was authentic, genuine praise, it would honor the Lord, right? So we can't die on the hill of the type or the style of church that we want to be. We can't, we can't be people that are pastors or on the worship team or the band or serving in the ushers or in the kids or in tech or whatever we're doing. We can't be the type of people that are just trying to create a certain type of culture within a church. We need to be a group of people that just loves the Lord. And everything we do is just an outpouring of that, right? And so tonight, I want to remind you that God has designed you to be loved by him, and he's designed you to love him back. The number one thing that matters most to God is to love you and to be loved by you. 
can see in Scripture, it's all over. I could give you a bunch of examples. I'll give you just one. But one of the Pharisees tries to trap Jesus, right, and says, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? All of the law, all of the prophets are summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So there's your proof. I'll move on from proving it to you. You were created to love God and be loved by him. That is his number one desire. It's not servitude. It's not being a soldier in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. It, his desire is to love you and to be loved by you. That is what he created you for, to be loved by him and to love him back. Tonight I want to read to you out of John 19. And uh, I don't want you to flip there. I, I just want you to listen and receive of it tonight. Um. I think it's really interesting that Jesus says in the story we read in Luke 7 that he who is forgiven much loves much. I think the longer that we're in faith, the longer that we have a relationship with the Lord, the further we get from who we used to be, the easier it is to forget who we used to be. The things that caused us to fall head over heels with Jesus in the beginning was realizing his goodness that he opened his arms to us despite anything we ever could have done to deserve it. And tonight I want to remind you that God chose you, created you, loved you before you ever gave him anything, before you ever promised anything, before you ever proved anything to him. He chose you, he loved you, and he called you. So real quick, what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to read for you some familiar passages. To give context for John 19, this is right after the Lord's Supper. He's sitting there with his disciples and says, one of you will betray me soon. Judas says, will it be me? Jesus says, well, you're the one who said it. And Peter says, I'll never deny you. Jesus says, oh no, before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny me three times. He goes to the garden to pray. He's sweating drops of blood because he's so exhausted and stressed about what he knows is coming. And he says, Lord, if you can take this cup from me, please take it, but your will be done. Starting in chapter 19, says, Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked. They slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the, thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said, look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him. Pilate said, I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release or crucify you? And Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. And Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. 
Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. And when they heard this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. And Pilate sat down on the judgment seat of the platform that is called the stone pavement. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. We'll just take a moment. Thank Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you endured for us. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called the place of the skull of Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to he said I'm the king of the Jews. And Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that said, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that's what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his, and his mother's sister Mary and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I think it's so important that we never get tired, that we never get bored of the simple gospel. That Jesus gave everything for us. That God withheld nothing for us. I know this is extremely simple, and the Bible is kind of just speaking for itself tonight. But I think it's important to remember that we're not trying to create something. We're already created. We're already loved. We're already chosen. And when we gather on a Sunday night together, our mission and our goal is not to prove something to God. It's to gather together and pour our love out on him. God will never get tired of us coming to him and showing our love. And he will never get tired of showing his love to you. I don't know if there's anyone in the room that feels this, but sometimes I feel like we base how we feel about God's perspective on us based on how life is going. I don't know if anyone else has ever felt that before. A friend of mine posted this thing uh, this last week, and she said, you know, it's easy to say God is good when everything's going well. But what about when everything's not going well? And I think there is a point in our life, in a relationship with him, where his goodness actually outshines the things in our life that would try and steal his glory and steal our confidence in him. I want to remind you tonight why we gather. We don't gather to just try and convince God to show up. We gather because we love him. 
We gather because if he never did another thing for us, he's done way more than enough. I want you to just remember how it was when you first found the Lord. What was your life like? What happened when he came into your life? Did things change? Was there an excitement? A lot of times we joke about new people coming to the Lord. They can't just they just can't shut up about Jesus. They just want to tell everyone about him. Were you like that when you first got saved, when you first received the Lord in your life? I think the same joy and excitement that we had at the beginning is supposed to be the excitement that we carry through our lives and our relationship with God. I mean, think about how good God is. Don't you think that he probably gives us gifts and enables us to do miracles and shows us his presence and gives us prophetic words because they give us excitement and they just, they make us want more of him, right? Like, God didn't have to give us things that give us pleasure, and yet he did. How exciting is it when someone comes up to you and says, hey, man, I feel like the Lord just has this thing on my heart. just want to share it with you. I don't know if it's for you. They share it, and it's like they're just reading your mail. It's like the most amazing thing because you go, wow, I'm so seen by the God of the universe, right? I don't know about you, but like the first time you see a miracle where God just like really came through, there's something about those moments where you go, wow, like God is really real. Like really, really real. Anybody had an experience like that where God just showed up in a way in your life that was like, that's unmistakably God. That is the type of life that God wants to live with you. Is it because he wants to impress you or just to have an exciting life? No, it's because he just loves you. He gives you pleasurable experiences in life because he loves you. He doesn't want life to be this one long dragged out thing where we're just trying to make it to the end. I think that he truly meant it when Jesus said, I've come, that they would have life and life to the fullest. Life more abundantly. What I love about the woman in Luke 7 is that it says she was an immoral woman. And it's interesting that Jesus says in this story that he who is forgiven much loves much. Can I ask you a question? Did she pour out her oil on him before or after he forgave her? Before. She poured out something that the Lord saw as love before he even forgave her. There was something about Jesus that she had heard from someone else's experience, that she had seen in his teaching somewhere, someone else that she'd seen the Lord forgive that told her, I can be confident that if I go to him, he'll accept me. That is the goodness of God. It's a beautiful thing to follow a Savior, to know a Savior like Jesus, who we don't have to fearfully approach him. That he accepts us before we could ever even begin to prove our worth to him. We're already worthy. We're already chosen. We're already loved. That's the kindness of God, the goodness of Jesus, that he holds nothing back. I don't know where you're at in life right now. I don't know if, you know, in your relationship with God, if you feel like really invigorated and everything is really excited. I don't know if for you, maybe you're in a place where you're kind of just going through the motions in your faith, where you're coming to church each week and you believe in God, but it's just not alive. Or maybe you have a really great, vibrant relationship with God right now. I just want to extend the invitation from the Lord to you that he wants you to experience his love in a deeper way tonight. So will you just go ahead, stand up to your feet. I'm going to invite Braden and the team up. And we're going to spend some time. And we're going to just let the Lord love us for a few minutes.
we talk a lot in our church about our place as sons and daughters. The thing about being a son and the thing about being a daughter is that you couldn't plan it. You didn't make yourself a son and you didn't make yourself a daughter, yet you are. The beauty of God is that he already extends his welcome to you. This is what Noah preaches about every single time. Whether his, te- his theme or his topics is on something else, he talks about the righteous place that you are seated with Christ in. And Jamie talks about every time he grabs a microphone, no matter what the topic is, no matter what the theme is, you will hear him talk about the importance of your proximity to Jesus, the closeness that you have in your relationship with him. And these go hand in hand because when we try and focus on Jesus, but we let our own shame get in the way, and we forget that we're sons and we're daughters and we're forgiven and we're loved and we're chosen, it hinders us from proximity to Jesus. Tonight, I think that in response to the gospel, in response to the good news of Jesus, that we have an opportunity to go back to our roots, the things that drew us to the Lord in the beginning. You may feel like a disqualified person, you're not. You can approach Jesus tonight with the same confidence that this woman did in Luke 7. You don't have to go into it asking him, am I okay to go in? You don't need to go into worshiping him or prayer with him going, okay, God, before we get into this, let me give you my laundry list of all the ways that I've messed up this week. It's not how a son or a daughter acts. You have been given the right as a son, as a daughter, to approach him with confidence. And tonight I want to remind you that you're not meant to just worship in a way that pleases the people around you or proves to the people around you that you really love God. You were just meant to love God. That's it. So if that means cartwheels and running laps, do it. Because it's not about the person next to you. And if they judge you for it, that's on them. And if for you, silently, Reminding yourself of all the ways that God has been kind to you is worship and love to you that honors him. Tonight, we all start on the same playing field as sons and daughters. We all start in the same place. It doesn't matter if you made your biggest mistake you've ever made in life this last week. You are still a son, you are still a daughter, and you you come at the same place that the person next to you does. Jesus' love for you is without bounds. It's without history. It's without record of wrongs. Think about 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not boast. Love does not envy. Keeps no record of wrongs. The list keeps going on and on and on and on and on. His love for you is not dependent on you. It's dependent on him. Your righteousness is not dependent on you. It's dependent on him. As a matter of fact, your righteousness isn't even your own. It's his. Tonight, I want to invite you to take a moment with the Lord without rush. Whether that's worshiping him with your words, with singing, whether that's staying quiet, whether it's shouting, whether it's jumping. Braden's going to sing some songs and you're welcome to do that with him. But I want to remind you tonight that God chose you and he continues to choose you every day. The one thing you were made to do more than and above everything else is to love him and to be loved by him. 
And so if we don't get into some deep, complex theology tonight, but you have a moment with Jesus, it was worth coming tonight. Amen? So I'm going to open up the front, the altars. You can walk around wherever you want to go. But let's take some moments and get with the Lord. And I want to encourage you to pour out your love to Him. Remind Him of the things that you think about Him. Remind Him of the ways that you've noticed He's shown His love to you tonight. And we're going to practice loving Him and letting Him love us back. Amen? Amen. Go ahead and find a place and spend some time with the Lord.